0: Welcome back to the Homestead Connection Podcast. Today, I'm so excited because we are going to be talking about simple ways to reclaim your independence and improve your self sufficiency. Today on the podcast is Brenna, Steph, and Molly, and we're really excited just to kick this off. I see all over on the internet right now, everybody is talking about self sufficiency, what it is, how to be more um, independent from the system, and just what's going on in the world with a lot of the current events and things that are happening. People are just wanting to dive back into our roots and kind of get their, you know, hands dirty and see what, you know, what they can do at their own properties. So, I'm really excited to kind of kick this one off with you guys. Um, What do you guys think is like the first and easiest way to start recla- reclaiming a little bit of independence from the system?
1: Well, first, I guess so. We- oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, you go. I was just going to say, personally, I think anyone and everyone can start in their own kitchen with just cooking from scratch. But what does cooking from scratch for, mean to you? Like, how far into scratch do you go?
0: hmm Yeah, I think cooking from scratch is a good one.
1: I mean, that depends on the spectrum of where you already are. So, like, if you are going to the grocery store and all that you buy comes in a box, then maybe you should start taking a step back of, like, picking one of those, one of your favorite meals that comes from a box, figuring out, how to make that without buying just the box. You go and you get the flour and the milk and the butter and the noodles and the meat or whatever it is. And you make it using individual ingredients to make that meal. Or you could go as far as growing the wheat that you are grinding to then make the noodles (laughs) instead of buying them off the shelf. That's up to you is where you want to be on that spectrum, but yeah.
0: Yeah. And like talking about like buying a box from the shelf, right? Like hamburger helper, let's just use it, love it, hate it, whatever your, your feelings are of hamburger helper. But there are so many good recipes out there to just deconstruct what you get in the box and make it at home by yourself. And it tastes great. We do it every once in a while here. And it's you know quick easy dinner, and it doesn't take very many ingredients. And so I think cooking from scratch is a really good one. Um, I'm trying really hard this year to make most of our bread products at home. That's a big undertaking. Like I understand that, and it's not feasible for everybody. It's probably not feasible for me, but I'm trying. And I think the first step is just to really try and do that. And the bread that I make at home tastes so much better than the bread I buy at the store. And Mm -hmm. it's fun just to get, you know, the, the kids involved in it as well. So I enjoy doing that.
2: Yeah. The way I started being more aware. So for me, I have to gradually step into stuff. And so it started for me with an awareness of how much was I shopping in those center aisles of the grocery store versus how often was I shopping on the outside aisles of the grocery store. And at this point, I'm pretty proud to say that we don't really shop at all in the center aisles whatsoever except for things like noodles Um, my next step will be to start making my own noodles but I've become Mm -hmm. hyper aware of how many things I buy in those prepackaged sections versus how much I buy to make it home and I think it's funny you brought up a hamburger helper because I was I was gonna say the same exact thing it actually ends up being healthier and less expensive to get more food uh, Than to buy those ready-made packages, and you can control the quality of the ingredients, you know, far better when you do it yourself versus. Um you know, buying something from Hamburger Helper with the idea of convenience in mind when it's it's really no mm-hmm. more convenient. So even just starting with an awareness in the grocery store, where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your money? Can you, are you interested in developing a skill that maybe will take you out of that, out of one aisle within the grocery store? And I think bread's a great sure. place to start. Kylie mm-hmm. mentioned um, her bread machine a while ago to me. And so for Christmas, I asked for a bread machine. And it's really helped. Me, we don't buy bread anymore at all. I still have to cook my hamburger buns by myself, you know, on my own, my uh, hot dog buns and all of that stuff. But as far as a loaf of bread goes, I throw it in and I don't think about it until I get off of work and I've got fresh baked bread right then and there. <laughs> How,
0: did you guys grow up in a household that was a snack household or an ingredient household? Do you know what I mean by that? You mm-hmm. do. A snack household. Really? Did you but have like, a no like snack
1: household? interesting
0: we were an ingredient household growing up so like the you know anything I wanted like after school snack it wasn't something that was ready made like I had to get the tortilla shell out and the the shredded cheese and put them together to make my snack you know like so that's how I always grew up and like that's where my mindset I think really started with cooking from scratch is being that type of a household and I I mean we're we continue that here at my house now and you know there's days with my kids I'm like gosh I wish I just had prepackaged something for lunch like make this easy I don't have to cook something Um, but being an ingredient house is nice because then you always have those random things on hand so if you want to try to have enchiladas one night and you can't go to the store you have the stuff there and you're like oh yeah I can make this Mm -hmm. and so it's just kind of nice that you have like that awareness of your pantry um to see what you can do yeah we
2: were an ingredient household except for when it came to lunches because we had to pack our own lunches so mom would buy juice boxes and oatmeal cream pies and you know apples and so it was very specific our lunch was very formulaic and for school but those things were only for school so even to this day if i get like a ho-ho or a cream pie or whatever one what of those things called what are those moon pies i always feel silly eating them stuff. unless i'm yeah. going to school which i don't do anymore mm-hmm. which is pretty funny um but i've taken that a step further with my son i'm trying to only bake his his um snacks for school too so i bake brownies i break cookies i bake muffins and then i make sure that he has snacks um first before school, after school, and then during school, he's got different things that he can choose from. He's also a growing boy, and he's getting ready to eat me out of house at home. It, it, it's <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> so it's been yes. important to kind of, you know, bake in bulk so that he has plenty of stuff to, you know, to kind of reach into the cupboard for.
0: And I know, you know, cooking from scratch can be really overwhelming feeling and I don't think you know cooking from scratch you don't have to make like your whole entire meal like if you even Mm -hmm. make one small portion of it from scratch I think that that is just you know perfect and starting on your way and you know you you can't expect yourself to be perfect at everything the first time you try and so I think you know starting small and you know getting a little bit under your belt is probably the best way to start and not to overwhelm yourself because you'll get you'll get burnt out quicker if you try to just dive in and and you know do everything from scratch um so i think starting small with like a side dish or you know make a loaf of bread this week or whatever is a good way to start
1: yeah mm-hmm.
2: i completely agree well, muffins cookies you know muffin. what is it if you you know have a sweet tooth at night like i do you know what do you typically snack on is it ice cream you know is it packaged chocolate or could you actually make yourself a little coffee cake or something that you could you know, tuck yourself in bed with, with a cup of tea in a movie.
0: Or do you go and get something through the, at the drive-thru? Do you go get your coffee every morning at a coffee shop? Make your coffee at home. It's just, it's an easy step. You know, it's a couple extra minutes, right? Do you go get yeah. an egg muffin every morning on your way to work? You could, you know, mix up eggs with some bacon or, or sausage or whatever, and some cheese, some spinach, throw it in some muffin tins and bake them, and then put them in the fridge and you have little egg, egg, you know, muffins to go. Like, there's a lot of things that, you know, if there's something that you do every day that could, you know, you could do on a Sunday or whatever day you have a little bit of extra time just to prepare yourself for the week to make it easier. That's another great way to, to implement cooking from scratch or making from scratch like your coffee.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I actually have not bought Starbucks. This is a huge deal for me. I used to be a two <laughs> Starbucks a dayer. I have not bought Starbucks since before Christmas.
1: That's wow, huge good for what? you. That's that's like twenty six dollars a day. Wow, <laughs> I know. Just think of all that
0: money you're saving. Holy buckets! It's wild, but I also feel
2: better. Like the coffee that I buy is better coffee, and I bu- I put better ingredients in it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it's um. Yeah, all around, it's a, it's a win. But that was a hard switch for me. And I know that that's not technically like from scratch, but it kind of is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a bucket load of money. And I just realized that I haven't done that in a while. So I was very proud of me. That's
0: <laughs> awesome. Good for you. Yeah. For
2: real. I don't know where all that money is now, but I know it's not <laughs> <at> Starbucks. <laughs> that's
0: good. I think another way that, you know, goes hand in hand with cooking from scratch is is being able to provide your own food, like by gardening. And I know that that looks different for people in all different types of living situations, whether you have um, an at-home like hydroponic garden or like on your counter, or you have like an actual in-the-dirt garden, or you have grow bags or whatever kind of like situation it is. But I think starting a garden is another great way um, to have some independence, especially from the food chain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I know we've talked a lot about gardening here, too, but what are your thoughts on on gardening and, and having that help gain independence?
2: I'm a, So I have a brown thumb. I mean, I can garden. I can grow some stuff, but it's not really my passion. Um, so for me, what brings me a lot of joy is growing herbs and then growing things that can be medicinally mm. beneficial, because then I feel like I'm doing something even like more interesting, because then I have something to learn about. Though, in my opinion, and they also travel well, you know, it's it doesn't take much to have some basil, and basil propagates very easily. It's kind of hard to kill. Quite frankly, if I can't kill it, then it's pretty hard to kill. Um, you know, uh, chives are another really fun thing. And they add to those meals that you're making, they add a little bit of independence that seems a little bit more attainable than plowing up an acre's worth of your backyard and then, you know, planting seeds, direct soil, and then, you know, fighting off the mold and the voles and the rabbits and whatnot. I've done that and I like it too. But for me, herbs was a really great way of starting.
0: Yeah, I have never really gotten into herbs. I actually bought a bunch of seeds this year to try to start some. Um mm. Just a few weeks ago. And so I'm going to do that here probably soon because I can put it in my windowsill or something here. Um, But I think that's a great place to start because herbs, you know, you can dry those out and, you know, make them into, you know, ground whatever um, powder mm-hmm. to add to your, your dishes as well from cooking from scratch. Um, And herbs are just nice because they have so many benefits, like you said. Yeah. Teas, like
2: I, you can grow mint and mint family, items like weeds they grow like once they take root that you can't stop them um and so it's a lot of fun to be able to propagate them you can actually just pinch them stick them in water and they'll grow roots and then you can put them somewhere else but they also dry for teas they're good in ice cream I mean mint is a lot of fun and there's so many different kinds of mint there's chocolate mint and like mint or basil chives you know, those things are kind of fun and easy to do. And if, you, you know, you might find that you really enjoy growing stuff and might want to graduate to tomatoes. And then before you know it, you'll have stalks of corn in your backyard. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. We we have a big garden here and, and I live in an urban setting and quite a bit of my backyard is tilled. I have a whole lot of space for a lot of different things. Um, And I have grown tons of tomatoes and I love growing tomatoes um and you know you can make so many things from tomatoes you can make ketchup you can make pasta sauce pizza sauce salsa chili starter like tons of things you can make from from tomatoes and so i spend a lot of time you know doing that um i grow like garlic i grow onions that they hold like in my pantry for the next 8 to 12 months until i'm ready to reharvest um and so i plant quite a bit of that Um, this last year I tried to grow broccoli for the first time that went over pretty well, but I do love gardening and I think it's a great way to just go grocery shopping in your backyard. Like I can't explain how much fun it is to get a bucket from my house, go out to the garden, fill it up and then see everything that I just harvested and then make meal with like, it is such a good feeling to know that I'm feeding my family this nutritious homegrown in my backyard bell pepper or whatever it is and it is just it's it just brings so much more joy into cooking and the colors and the smell like I don't know if Mm -hmm. you've ever grown peppers and if you get a pepper from the store and you get a pepper from a garden and you saute them on the stove they smell so much different am I the only one that knows notices that
2: oh no oh good yeah Mm -mm. it's
0: so different and like I actually chop up my peppers and I throw them in a fr- like I'll I'll throw them on parchment paper and I'll put them into the freezer and then I'll let them freeze and then I put them in a Ziploc baggie and then I just take out of there all winter long to like put them in different dishes. And even when I cook them it just reminds me of summer because that fragrance comes back and it is I don't know, it's one of my favorite things.
2: I didn't know this but paprika is dehydrated red bell pepper. I did not know. Is that. it
0: really? Yes. I was blown away. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, I love
2: paprika. Whoa. I love paprika, you know? I'm going to have
0: to make my own. Yes. I feel like I use paprika in like so many things. Me too. And I like smoked paprika, so I could throw that on the grill, like on our smoker, Mm -hmm. and then smoke it. I'm going to do that this year. Think
2: about that smell. So you're going to have the smoked smell with that that pepper. It's, yeah. I'm, I've never successfully grown red bell peppers, but I want to just so I can make paprika. (laughs)
0: That's so interesting.
1: I'm going to have to try that. One thing on the gardening is, especially if you are just starting out, you don't have to grow all the things. Yes. Only grow what your family will eat or pick like five things that you know your family eats and start with that because it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot to keep up with. It's a lot to remember. It's a lot to just deal with. And even within... Those five things. Let's say you do tomatoes, peppers, I don't know, corn, watermelon, and strawberries. Let's just say, within tomatoes, you have so many different varieties, and within those different varieties, you have determinate and you have indeterminate. Completely different, yet it's the same fruit that you're getting.
2: (laughs) I just blew Um, my mind. I don't know what that (laughs) word, those words. I don't know the words that just came out of your mouth. I want the garden around of the bunch. If you guys haven't figured this out,
1: <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I mean, you've got cherry tomatoes, you've got your slicers, you've got your paste tomatoes, you've got like itty bitty microscopic like spoon tomatoes. I mean, they're not microscopic. They're, they're like, so cute. I don't know, a quarter of an inch big.
2: <laughs> Ridiculously like small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Like the size, of, like less than the size of a dime. They're like like they're yeah. tiny. Yeah. Little They freak me
2: out. Well, I, I, get, I, I I saw those and I I they freak me out because if you've ever seen like the nightshade plant, they're also like little itty bitty berries and I Well that's what tomatoes I I just, are
1: in the nightshade family.
2: I know, but there's nightshade that's mm-hmm. okay and there's nightshade <laughs> that's not. <laughs> <I> Too <don't know. laughs> <You're> close.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then in peppers, you have sweet peppers and you have hot peppers. And the hot pepper variety you've got mm. I'm going to give you a little bit of flavor and some spice, and then I'm going to kill you because I'm so spicy. (laughs) (laughs) I know a
0: few years ago, I got my hands on a whole bunch of habaneros, Carolina reapers, and uh, one other pepper, and they were so hot, so hot that I had to, like, make them into, like, candied habanero reaper whatever mix and it was still hot even with all the sugar that was in it they were still hot but it was really tasty but i don't know i don't i don't have much joy for that (laughs) level of spice i like
2: spicy but i don't i like my stomach lining too
0: yeah (laughs) yes and if you guys have ever seen a tabasco plant have either of you seen one when they grow those peppers are they the little itty bitty peppers They're red, but normally pepper plants, like the peppers grow down, like they hang down off the branch. They stick up. They kind of look like Christmas lights, and it's so cute. Even if (laughs) my mom grows one every year just because she loves to look at it, she doesn't ever eat them, but she just grows it because she likes how it looks.
2: My papa used to grow those like crazy and stick them in vinegar and it would just be vinegar with peppers in it. And it was one of my favorite things. But God forbid you touched one of those peppers and like touched your eyes or your nose or your mouth as a little kid. It was like excruciating pain. So, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're no joke.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I agree with Steph. I got a little bit out of hand um, this last year. I grew a whole bunch of different types of Stuff. Yes, I grew a ton of tomatoes too. <laughs> <laughs> I grew a whole bunch of stuff and it got really overwhelming. And I think garden burnout is a huge thing. Like at the beginning of the season, you have these like wide saucer sized eyes and you're like, I can do all of these things. But then getting into the middle of the summer and daily watering and weeding your garden and spending all the time out there taking care of it and harvesting and succession planting. It gets to be a lot. And so I really think that starting small and really honing in on what your family eats is super important. So you don't get that garden burnout by mid to late summer, early fall when it's really time to harvest everything.
2: Mm-hmm. It's so true. And there's so many things that go into gardening, like our soil, just as a broad statement, is very depleted. You know, we don't, mm-hmm. the soil has been used and abused for so many years. Like for me and it, the ongoing joke, I grew carrots and I grew onions and I grew potatoes and I'm using quotation marks here successfully. They were all teeny tiny. My carrots were no bigger than like an inch. That was the biggest. My biggest carrot was. Uh, my my uh, onions were like the size of silver dollars. They were super super tiny, and my potatoes were even smaller than that. And some of it, like for the carrots, it's because I didn't loosen up the soil enough. But then for the other things, it was just because the soil was so depleted. I did not have good soil. So you know, being comfortable with like starting small and then really paying attention to you know the quality of your soil, the quality of your water how much sunlight your plants are getting. I mean, all of those things really, really matter, which is why I stick to herbs and pots.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think a good starting point with gardening is to know your frost dates oh, and yeah. like your grow zone. So a really easy way you can f- find this out is go to Google and type in like what growing zone and I am like where wherever you live, like your zip code, whatever it may be. And it'll probably pull up a map for your state to show you, like, all the different zones. So, where I am, I'm right on the line of 4A and 4B. So, I have a really late frost out and an early frost in. And so, my grow zone is really small. But, like, Steph, being in Texas, she has a quite a bit longer growing season than I do. And so, it really depends on, like, when you can start planting or starting your seedlings indoors and however you plant a garden because you can start your seedlings indoors, you can start your seedlings like right into the ground, you can direct sow them, or you can buy plant starts that are already, you know, sprouted and somebody else did all that work for you. And you can just directly plant Mm -hmm. them into the ground. And so by determining what your grow zone is and the time of when you should plant these into the ground will kind of determine on when you need to start looking for how you want to get, you know, your plants, whether that's doing it yourself or buying those starts. And so I think just an easy thing for you to do is just type into Google is to figure out where you're at and, you know, when you really need to start thinking about these things.
1: Yeah, I would say that your frost dates are probably the most important, especially for just your annual seasonal garden if you're getting into more of the perennial and biennials that's where your actual growing zone is going to come into effect because that kind of goes off of what your coldest temperature is so oh growing zones go off of like your what your coldest temperature range is going to be um so for me i can do I don't know. What are some things that you can't do, Molly, because you're so cold?
0: Um, like, I can't direct sow, like, any tomatoes. They take too long. Like, perennials? Oh. What
1: are, like... Um, mm. I mean, I guess there's varieties of a lot of things in each zone. I don't know. I know we have, um, like, avocados that we can do. I don't know anybody think- in Minnesota
0: who grows an avocado. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's a there's avocado varieties that we can do. There's lemons, limes, oranges. Nope. No. No. You can't do any of that. Peaches. Yeah, can
0: you do, peaches? can you do peaches? Maybe some varieties. Plums. Peaches. Yes. Plums. Mm-hmm. Plum trees. Plum. Mm-hmm. Cherries. I don't know about cherries. I don't know if anybody grows cherries.
2: They grow in Washington, don't they? Washington State.
1: Washington yeah. is eight. Oh wow. Really? At. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Because they don't get as cold.
2: Yeah. Yeah, seacoast, I guess.
0: They probably still have green grass right now.
1: True. But uh-huh. that's really? grass right now.
0: <laughs> <You're> <laughs> I do trenches. not. I'm
1: covered in snow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like the Washington is seven and eight. And it's most of their zones, maybe six, like once you get towards like Idaho. But yeah, I
0: don't think hmm many people up here will grow any citruses like we can do like apples and um plums we can do like honey berries we can do blueberries uh strawberries um those things rhubarb oh my gosh i have so much rhubarb in my yard um those are all things that we can grow here they just have to be a hearty enough plant um Mm -hmm. right but i feel like a lot of those citruses are not party or so like you know bananas and um lemons and oranges i don't think we could ever grow those here
1: see i'm too far north in texas i can't do bananas but if you go down to like Mm -hmm. houston galveston corpus christi like down to the coast they can do bananas but i can't That'd be so cool. No, even
2: in Tampa, you can't do bananas easily. I mean, they'll grow, but if there's a good frost, they die back. So you yeah. you might get bananas one year, and then the next year, that whole plant is gone. You have to wait; it's starting all over again. Yeah, mangoes too. Like mangoes in Tampa yeah. don't do really well. Mm-hmm. You have to go further south for mangoes, but they're yeah. delicious.
0: Yeah, so there's not a whole lot, a lot of that. Mostly everything that we have here with how severe frost gets and how deep it gets has to be dug up every year. Like, I like to have dahlias, which is the flower, Mm -hmm. and those tubers I have to dig up every year. Otherwise, they'll rot in the spring when the frost comes out and how much moisture there is in the ground. Um, And so things like that we have to dig up every year.
1: So if Mm -hmm. that's part of the reason why I've never done dahlias. So if I do them, would I have to dig them up every year? I don't know you'd have to check I don't you might not
0: have to I know a lot of people down south don't dig them up but I love dahlias are so pretty Um, I know they're so pretty and they multiply so if you dig them up like when you dig it up you plant like a single tuber you dig it up and they grow and they have like fingers that sprout off and then you split them and then you get a ton more dahlia tubers so you can plant like Three to five times that every single year, and so it's almost worth digging them up because they do multiply. It's if like I that didn't with them the up, research. would they
1: just come up anyway? They should,
0: yeah. yeah.
2: A lot of them. That's yeah. what my irises do. My irises mm-hmm. we started with just one bunch. Now yep. we have whole plates of irises they are huge, mm-hmm. and these massive plants come up out of them.
1: Yeah, irises are cool too. They're really pretty.
0: So pretty. Maybe
1: I could get some and then dig up some, but not the others. Try it. I mean, that's the only it. thing.
0: And I think it'll depend on your winters and how, you know, like this winter with your cold weather right now. Um, it might, you. Be, it <laughs> might be different. But then if you have a winter that's a little bit more mild, maybe, you know, you'd be fine.
1: I mean, we only get like a week of this every year. Right. And your frost mm-hmm. can't go that deep. Right. No. Mm-hmm. So you'd probably be okay. So aside from gardening, you have things like hunting and fishing, and then you also have raising your own meat, Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: which that I am good
2: at. (laughs) (laughs) I can't grow plants, but I can grow animals, no problem. And the safest thing for that is chickens, you know, because then you don't actually have to kill anything. Or rabbits, not comfortable. Yeah, rabbits. Yeah, but rabbits you still—they're still fluffy and they're still fuzzy. And for people that are not necessarily used to having to, you know, provide meat that way. I still think chickens are probably, because you get the egg, you know, like the yeah. chicken will just keep on creating protein for you okay. as long as you feed it. So to me, they're like the simplest thing. And then, yes, rabbits are next because they are rather easy to breed and they're quick to grow and they're how pretty easy meat, to put. In.
1: How much meat do you think you could get from quail? Would that be like equivalent to dove? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Very good. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I love quail. Like it's so tasty.
1: partridge.
0: They have to be pretty small. Or maybe a little smaller. Yeah, I was going to say, I think they might be a little
1: smaller. Mm -hmm. But their meat is delicious. Mm -hmm. Because especially if you have a smaller space, you could do the quail. Because they're, I would say, like, I've never done quail, but I would assume they would be less noisy and you wouldn't have complaints from your neighbors like you would with chickens. Yep. That's right. Quail are very, very quiet.
0: I read a post today on a Facebook group about somebody wanting to know if anybody has successfully hidden chickens in their backyard if they lived in an HOA. And so many of the comments said, get quail, because they are quiet. Um, I was like, I don't know how you're going to hide chickens in your backyard, but quail, you might get lucky. Um, That goes a little bit back to our civil disobedience conversation we had a a few episodes ago, but... um, on yeah on our patreon so yeah do, do it's well. uh yeah quail
2: quail don't have an egg song in the same way they're pretty quiet and they're also like you get attached to your chickens chickens are kind of fun you know especially if you have a small flock quail you don't get attached to they every second of every day are trying to break out. They do not love you. They do not want you. They do not care for you. Nice. So if you're using them for eggs, they are prolific layers, but then also it, they're pretty easy to call into harvests for, for food too because they don't care for you whatsoever. <laughs> so, that bonding element that you get when you first start raising animals for food is just not quite there the same way as it would be for like fluffy rabbits or for, you know, chicken.
0: But I think Steph brought up a good point, too, about just being um, self-reliant on, like, going out and hunting and and harvesting your game as well. Like, we both go hunting and fishing. Brett. I know you do, too. And, like, it's just so nice to know that I can go out, spend some time in nature, harvest something that's going to, you know, nourish my family for the next how many months um, while doing something that I enjoy. And it's it's nice. It's really nice to be able to, you know hunt and gather as they they always say you know like from our garden to you know going out and you know harvesting some meat and that i didn't even think of that with being you know self-reliant and like becoming independent from the system like apparently that's something i take for granted and that was a really good point to bring up is that that you know hunting is part of that
2: yeah oh my gosh went down Uh and how much i mean so a family of four would Let's say three to four, because that's kind of where we're all sitting. How long will one deer feed your family?
0: If I was only eating deer and no other proteins? Yes,
2: if you're only eating deer and no other protein. How many meals do you think roughly?
0: I don't know. I would say you could get anywhere between three to four months of solely eating
1: that.
2: That's what I was going to say.
1: Yeah, it's gonna depend on the size of the deer. Mm-hmm. Sure, but yeah, I would say up to around six months. Mm-hmm. For I mean, one
0: if you get, if you get a medium sized deer, nothing small, mm-hmm. nothing huge. I would say you're gonna be, yeah, I could I could go with four to six months, depending on how you use it and everything. Like if you were mm-hmm. to like take a lot of your ground meat and then turn it into a lot of sausage or bratwurst, like that definitely dwindles your stash pretty quick or if you make yeah, it like jerky and things like that but if you're just using like ground venison having your steaks having your roasts it definitely could stretch you probably four to six months
2: yeah and that's that's kind of like my reason behind asking that question is because people think that people that are that are not hunters or that are new to hunting think that they have to go out and get a ton and it you're you're really underestimating the if it's proper if it's the right size and if it's properly you know cleaned and, and dressed then it's going it's going to feed your family for so long so two three deer you know a year right. will keep you in meat for that entire year comfortably not that's not to mention like the chicken that you're going to get and you know mm-hmm. the other the other meat that you eat and yeah. i just think that that's really poignant
1: another thing to like add on into going out into nature and getting your food would be foraging mm-hmm. which i don't have a ton of experience with i'm beginning to dabble <laughs> in that um, aside from like the wild blackberries and things like that along like in our area but i haven't really gone out into <laughs>
0: Yeah, a few things things I've foraged for, and I know I've talked about this before on a podcast, is that we have ditch asparagus here, and it's just asparagus that lines the ditches of our roads, and they're, like, little patches here and there, and in the springtime when it all pops up, everybody is, like, trying to get to these spots as fast as possible because it's plentiful and you can just grab it, right? And so I've definitely done that before. Um, We find um, morel mushrooms, morel mushrooms are so stinky good wow. and i know brenna loves them you do <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yep i've found uh i've I've successfully found them once um otherwise i've hunted for so long because they're hard to find they're like they are they're so difficult um still so, those in bolete
1: ah <laughs> i would love those
0: you have to come to minnesota i'll help you um don't threaten me with a good time <laughs> so yeah we um i've done ditch asparagus and then morels but one thing i really want to find i think it's they're called fiddle leaf ferns oh i think it's what they're called and they're these little they're they're a fern but before they um like fully like sprawl out like their their whole leaf structure it looks kind of like it's like coiled up in you clip them off or you cut them off and you cook them up and they're supposed to taste like asparagus and i keep looking and every spring to try to find them and i have not been successful yet but that's one other thing that i really want to try to find that's interesting yeah they are they're really cool and yeah they're really pretty green color but yeah foraging i think is super cool i know a lot of people find like chicken of the woods mushrooms and these big puff mushrooms and all of these things
1: um and i know foraging is it's it's getting really popular yeah um one thing i mean because not only just for food but you can get medicinal herbs and flowers and and all of that we um on the hunting property well not even just the hunting property but the national forest that we hunt in Um, We have these things called beauty berries, and you can take the... The berries are edible, but you can take the leaves and crush them and then rub them on your skin. Obviously, test it to make sure you're not allergic, but they repel mosquitoes. We need those up here. Like, legit, you're out there walking to your stand, you grab (laughs) some leaves, crush them up, rub them on you, and you don't have the annoying... (laughs) that was a very very accurate sound of a mosquito <laughs> that yeah, was, no. let's be honest
0: that's a perfect cover scent as well like they're not gonna know that you're there that's right. awesome. <laughs> I love that that little squeal of the mosquito is still in my head <laughs> uh, I don't miss that one bit yeah there's a lot of food chain be- independence that you can really do anybody can do it it's just kind of going to depend on what your mindset is showing and like where where you're being called and led to to start
1: um mm-hmm.
0: crab apples you can make acv you can make jelly
2: like and crab apples at least here in colorado grow like crazy all over the place they drop all over the place mm-hmm.
0: and brenna you just had make jelly and like i i don't know i i don't all of us here have done it. The next thing like for being independent is preserving your food. Like there's so many yeah. different ways you can preserve. Um, my favorite way is canning. Um, but there are so many different ways you can preserve food. And what do you guys do?
2: Depends on what it is. If yeah. it's pumpkin, like they pumpkins did not sell the pie pumpkins didn't sell super fast this last year for me for our area. And so I got pie pumpkins for 50 cents a pumpkin. Um, and so I, you know, roasted, roasted, is that the right word? Roasted them down to the oven, you know, melted them, whatever it is you do with them in the mm-hmm. oven, and then blended that up and stuck it into plastic Ziploc bags and flattened them out and stuck them in the freezer. I've got probably 50 gallon size bags of pumpkin. I can make muffins forever. Wow. <laughs> That's a good yeah. Peaches I canned you know and huh. i don't and those things i didn't even i didn't even grow you know i purchased them from local stores or local farms or whatever wherever i could find them i bought them in bulk and then that's what i did but then yeah. it's kind of combining two topics
0: you yeah, know we spend yeah. a lot of time canning you know everything from the garden that we're not eating like for meals i actively grow extra produce to can for the winter months um so that way i have a food storage or stock um, so I have a whole bunch of like pasta sauce, pizza sauce. Um, I, when cranberries are on sale or on the holiday season, I make cranberry juice, um, salsa, all of that kind of stuff. I eat green beans, carrots, corn, all those things I will can, um, so that way okay. I have them for the winter. So that way I'm relying you know, on myself and not what the store has in stock, um, to get us through until the next garden harvest. And, um, you know, there's a couple different types of canning methods. The two canning methods that I use the most is water bath canning and pressure canning. And I know pressure canning can be really, really scary for people like to take that step into (laughs) starting it. Because it it is a little bit more intimidating. Um, But it's honestly probably my favorite. I love to pressure can. And I know I've said it on here before, too, is that, like, my favorite purchase of 2022 was my pressure canner yeah. and I still stand behind that like I have gotten my money's worth and then some from that purchase and it was yeah I want a second one put it that way
2: yeah pressure canners are very useful mm-hmm. and you can use them as a water bath canner too I think we had that conversation mm-hmm. a while ago so if you're going to purchase one that's the one to purchase mm-hmm. because of the versatility I of it Um, I got into fermentation Ooh. in 2023 I still have gallons of sauerkraut um but there's lots of lacto fermentation techniques that you can use to preserve and there's some good um nutrients that come out of fermentation that you don't necessarily get any other way and it's a it's a great thing to have on hand too especially during the winter months that's another way to can some other you know you can do actually a lot of them but the most popular yeah. one obviously is yeah
0: and then like i mean there's a couple other popular ways i think for Preserving your food is like, uh, freeze dryers. People are going crazy over buying freeze dryers right now. Like I see them all over my my feeds. Yeah. Um, so that's a good way that you could you know mm-hmm. freeze dry your stuff, mylar bag it, put it up, and you have it good to go for how many years? Um, so freeze drying it, mylar bagging, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I went together. Mylar bagging is another way, uh, to preserve your food. Um, dehydrating hmm you do a lot of dehydrating yeah, like
1: jerky do you do a lot of dehydrating i haven't um i don't have an actual dehydrator yet and i'm kind of debating no. on if i even want to get one because you can do mm-hmm. it in your oven um and then i also have the sun oven so i can just stick stuff in there and stick that outside and let it do its thing um but you don't have to like the easiest things to get into for preserving your food would be Freezing and dehydrating because you already most likely have an oven. You already have a freezer, so you could just do that. You don't have to buy anything extra. Um, And then even with the fermenting, like there's not a whole lot extra that you would have to get with that. You don't necessarily have to get the fermentation lids yeah. and all of that. You just monitor yeah, <laughs> burp it so it doesn't explode yes, which does happen <laughs> that happened to
2: my honey and garlic but it's a story for another time
1: <laughs> it's a very sticky sticky story yeah and then you could add in like just the pressure canner because like we said it's dual purpose you can water bath uh water bath can and pressure can with that and then you have the freeze dryer which oh I, I don't know, know that so I would wine. ever drop the money on that investment. The Walt one. I've a heard lot. really great yeah. things and
0: then I've heard complete horror stories over freeze dryers. Like some of them work, some of them don't. Some warranties are terrible, some companies are terrible. Like it's just, you know, and then the next person loves theirs and makes a huge profit with them, you know, dehydrating candies and whatever else and has all like a full
1: on business with theirs. Like it's either you love it or you hate it, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you even have the option of just, like, mm-hmm. salt curing or smoking, yep. um, all um <laughs> old-fashioned kind of things that are not coming to, ha- to mind. No, you know, it's funny because I was going
2: through the Laura Ingalls Wilder books with Dexter a while ago, and so I was reading Little House in the Big Woods, and she really goes into great detail about her dad building that smoker out of the old um, log, the old hollowed-out log. And it's really That's fascinating like- how resourceful people were and, you know, not all yeah. that long ago, really, you're talking 50, anywhere from like 150 to 50 years ago, which is not that long of a, of a frame of time. And we've really lost a lot of those, those skills, you know, um, cause if you gave me a hollow log and some wood, I would not necessarily know what to do right away. It would pick me yep. quite a few hollow logs <laughs> to figure it out and not light it on fire. Um, so yeah, I think I think kind of if you're interested in preserving food and you want to take it a step beyond some of it's just natural curiosity and wanting to read more about it and then experiment and learn about it. But if you don't want to do that, I think and you want to buy something, I think mm-hmm. the pressure canner is the way to go.
0: I agree. And I mean, even if you needed it to be a huge stock yeah. pot because you're making something, you can definitely still use it as as such. Like there's yep. it's so multi-purpose and you know, I feel like a Presto pressure canner you can get for like what, 120 bucks, something around there. Um, and so it's not a huge mm-hmm. investment, but it's one mm-hmm. that's going to help your family for years and years and years to come. Um, and so,
1: yeah, there's mm-hmm. your encouragement.
2: Mm-hmm. I still my grandfather. I mean, it's like, oh, it still works fine. You know, we have we have two, but that's one of the ones that yeah. we have. So, yeah, you could probably find one second hand. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and a lot of them, like, you know, you just check the seals and make sure it's, like, working properly. But you can buy new seals online. You can, you know, pretty much refurbish it and make it back to brand new just with a little, you know, online searching, buying some parts,
1: and putting them back together. Or if it's an All-American that you luck out and find at a garage sale or an estate sale, no seal required. (laughs) Yes. And if you do find one somewhere, I'm jealous. (laughs) I would love all of it. Yeah,
2: that's what we've that. You said something about a seal, and I was like, "What is it supposed to have a seal?" Because no, mine's is metal on metal. metal. I just I don't think it has. But hurts you good
0: old Presto. I
1: have the that Presto has a too. seal. Mm-hmm. Okay. All
0: right.
1: Yes, but they're interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Very similar to an instant cool. pot. Yeah, it, truly. Mm-hmm. So if you use an instant pot, don't mm-hmm. be scared to pressure can. Yep, but don't pressure can in an Instant Pot. You can't do that. No. <laughs> no, don't do that.
2: Follow the directions <laughs> of the Instant Pot. Don't don't, <laughs> don't, go off-roading with those.
0: Yes. I know Brenna said, like, when she was making some of her uh, peaches and stuff into some jams and jellies earlier this year, um, she said that she didn't grow those, but she actually bought those in bulk. And I think that that's another great way to um just to change your mindset like buying in bulk is so helpful you know what you have on hand you can preserve it in different ways like you can mylar bag it um oftentimes like the upfront cost seems scary because it's more expensive but if you were to buy 10 times that in smaller Mm -hmm. package things at the store over the course of like a few weeks you're going to be spending more than if you were to actually just bite the bullet and buy in bulk and so Mm -hmm. i think buying bulk is another great way uh (laughs) to gain a little bit of independence and a little bit of self-sufficiency i don't know do you guys buy stuff in bulk
2: yes oh yeah i mean a proud proud bulk buyer moment like when covid happened and everybody was panicked buying toilet paper I didn't need to, because I already had 120 rolls of toilet paper yes. from my Costco buys. So if you shop at Costco or Sam's or whatever bulk store that you shop at, um, congratulations, you're already one step closer <laughs> to self-sufficiency. <laughs> or to being a little bit more self-sufficient, you know, a little bit less dependent on those weekly grocery grocery trips. Um, and it is cheaper. What are your... Hands yeah, no. So start with your paper products. Yeah, what are your favorite items to
0: bulk buy? And then how do you preserve them once you're home if you're not going to use them all right away? I bulk buy. So I buy a lot from Azure Standard. I
2: get a drop from them. Well, I kind of shop around. It depends. Some stuff I buy from Costco. Some stuff I buy from like roadside stands seasonally. And then sometimes I buy stuff from Azure Standard. And from Azure, I buy... Wheat berries, because I do, uh, I use that for my chickens, and I also want to start grinding my own wheat. And it also preserves for longer if you if you buy it in the berry form. I also buy my flour bulk. I buy a lot of like my baking goods bulk sugar stuff like that, and I preserve it in Mylar bags. Um, and then over at Costco, I do coffee, fruits and vegetables. I um, think, and then paper goods. And I think that that's really about it from Costco because they have a lot of, they have a lot of, you know, prepackaged foods that I don't, that, you know, we just don't purchase much anymore. Um, and then I really haunt like the seasonal fruits and vegetables that are happening. So I bought like 35 pounds of peaches during peach season and I canned all of those up
1: yeah. for my first time
0: ever. Nice. Actually. <laughs> Steph, do you do anything different than Brenna, like on what
1: you buy from Bulk? Um, the only thing that I would add, I mean, I'm sure Brenda does. She didn't mention salt, but I do my salt in bulk. Um, mm. uh, my different mm. sugars, whether that's honey, maple syrup, raw sugar. Um, I did just get some coconut sugar. I can't remember who it was that recommended that. I think mm. it was Winnie all I could be wrong. I didn't, I bought it, but I, I haven't know. used it yet. Do you like it? <laughs> I haven't tried it yet um okay yeah i just got some coconut sugar not in bulk just in a i think it's like a four pound bag anyway um i also do dried beans um Mm -hmm. in bulk i don't oh yeah i do kind of rice i don't do a whole lot just because we don't eat a whole lot of rice Mm -hmm. uh but i do have it on hand just Mm -hmm. it's it's a nice filler (laughs) (laughs) it is it is. It's easy. Yeah, we, we eating exactly. like dried pasta too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do
0: a lot of rice here. I buy my rice in like twenty five pound bags, so it's a lot of rice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really yeah. nice just to have a whole yep. bunch, and then I just refill a jar, and then I just take from that jar, and then use you know what I yep. need. Um, another thing that I buy in bulk is my spices. Mm-hmm. Um, we have yep. a local Amish or Mennonite mm-hmm. store to us, and um. They have a whole aisle of spices, and they come in these tubs, like, you know, I don't know, like deli-style tubs, if that makes sense to you. Just these little tubs with, like, the sticker on top of how much it is, and honestly, they're really, really affordable, and you get a lot of spices for it, and then I'll bring them home, put them in my cupboard, or I'll throw them in a Mylar bag, and then they just last so long. Um, Yeah. And so spices are nice.
2: I bought cayenne pepper in bulk I bought five pounds worth of cayenne pepper I probably have it's probably gonna be <laughs> wow, a that's a, item. Lot. <laughs> that's a lot but I mylar bagged it in the little lightlar bags and so now whenever we use it for chili or whatever you just grab one yeah. mylar bag and yeah. I
0: buy a lot of crushed red pepper flakes so I can give it to my chickens and buying that in bulk at the uh-huh. store is really nice uh-huh.
1: Too. Uh-huh. I also do baking soda and baking uh-huh. powder aluminum free yeah yes yes. <laughs> yes i it's actually hard to find didn't things. know
0: <laughs> i feel like every time i'm at the store i'm always buying a jug of vinegar yeah Not every time at the store but i have so many bottles and like gallon two gallon jug- jugs of vinegar but i go through it because i clean with it i cook with it i can with it like everything uses vinegar and that's one of those things where i just keep buying it
2: um That is such a good item because I I just actually was looking at my vinegar and it's like every time I turn around, I need more, you know, you do use it for literally everything. I wish I could figure out how to make white vinegar. It's made out of grapes.
1: Uh I thought you told us it's just like when wine goes too far.
2: It is. It's when white wine goes too far, but I got to figure out how to make white wine. It will go too far and become vinegar. Like, I don't know how to do that, you know? Yeah. Is Is it just sugar and is it sugar and grape and water?
1: I have no idea. We're going to have to figure this out.
2: Yeah. We do. Because white if vinegar, you, know, you go
1: see. Let us know.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm going to start with it. Because
1: we
0: all you know how, know how to make apple cider vinegar. But white vinegar is mm-hmm. really cool. hmm
2: mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
2: That'd be the same way, just with grapes. Or, I don't know. I'll play around with it. That'll be my project this year since I don't have one yet. Well, and I, I think that's I'm, a great
0: segue here. <laughs> talking about learning how to <laughs> make white vinegar is i think <laughs> something that's super important is to get comfortable trying new skills working hard at it and being okay at failing because that happens yep. right like we try and try and try and then it doesn't turn out and instead of being defeated we start again and so i think that that is a perfect way to start talking about you know trying new skills learning new things and how that goes
2: sourdough starter That took me seven months to figure out
0: (laughs) and it's just flour and water. I know. Sourdough is a beast of its own. Either you have the knack for it or you have to really, really try to learn it.
2: I really had to try and learn the starter. The bread part was fine. It's Mm -hmm. this. it was the starter getting that thing going. It was hard. I think it had to do with my altitude and had to do with where, you know, kind of where I am in the country. That makes sense. Um,
1: Brenna, you're going to have to relearn.
2: Why I've got a whole bunch of dehydrated sourdough? Oh, because I'll be in Florida. Oh, bite your tongue!
1: <laughs> oh no! You're welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you. That you're just wonderful.
0: <laughs> so, if anybody here has any Florida sourdough tips, Bruna is now accepting them all. I'm accepting every
2: bit of it. I have dehydrated starter, but yeah, you're right. I don't know that that's gonna work.
0: Oh I mean, gonna my work. god
1: it's just going to be how you feed it
0: yeah brenna you got it you'll have seven sourdough babies on your counter and you'll just they'll be
2: all mine yes and i'll talk to all of them well it was like that with bees bees in florida are much easier than bees here in colorado but i didn't stop trying you know too much probably to the bee chagrin i kept on trying you know Mm -hmm. what i mean until I'm still not successful fully, but they're not all dead. They're all still out there. So we're doing better this year than we were last year. Instead
0: of Snow yeah. White and her Seven Dwarves, it's Brenna and her Seven Sourdough Babies.
2: It and is. That's how it goes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I know. I got to decide what, I'm, what names I'm going to go through. Last year, it was Monsters. Maybe I'll do like Rappers or something. <laughs> or Disney Princesses. I don't know. We'll figure it out.
0: <laughs> well, we got Sleepy and Crabby, and why don't you know the Seven Dwarves? Dopey. Yeah.
2: Grumpy. It's not crappy. Grumpy. There it
0: is. I haven't watched that movie in so long. <laughs> uh,
2: but yeah, you do have to. It's it is to me like one of the characteristics of a home center is curiosity and the w- willingness to learn and fail. That's nice. Over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Like that's one of the key characteristics of also,
0: yeah, mean,
2: being sufi- self sufficient to the extent that you can.
0: Yeah. It sucks when you fail. Like, it sucks. Your pride Mm -hmm. takes a hit. Like, all the things take a hit. But it's how you pull your bootstraps back up and get back on and get, you know, get to getting again is when you really, man, I really sound like I was from the south there. You did just for a second. (laughs) Not the case. Um, Get her done.
1: Yeah. Get her done.
0: (laughs) Uh, But that's the really (laughs) important part is, like, just getting back on and trying again. Because... Failing is not—it's not an option, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. quitting is
2: not an option. Failing
0: is absolutely yeah. an option. Yeah. Quitting is not an <laughs> option after you fail. <laughs> Failing is a given. Yes, sorry, that was very wrong <laughs> of me. What Brenna said <laughs> Do as I mean, not as I say. Okay.
1: <laughs> so. I don't think this is necessarily on the list, but kind of a long... Well, I don't know. Learning new things, I guess, would be... Do y'all mend any of your clothes? Try to.
0: My mother-in-law is a seamstress, and my sister-in-law is a seamstress, so if I can't do it, they can do it. But I think it's a really good skill to know.
2: Oh, yeah. I just give stuff away or throw it away or whatever, which is extremely wasteful and not very practical. I would love to be that... Lady sitting by the fire with her little socks, darning her socks or what whatever the correct word is for that. But no.
1: Well, and not to mention, but like if you think about it, clothes that were made in our grandparents and great grandparents' age mm-hmm. were made of better quality. Yeah. Than what oh, yeah we're buying. Less plastic. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that stretch is not good, by the way. You know, I yeah. mean if you're
1: yeah I mean for them I mean even for us if you actually do invest in your clothing and get natural fibers your cotton your linen your wool it is definitely worth mending the clothes but if you're going to like Walmart Target I don't know American Eagle whatever Old Navy those probably aren't necessarily worth it but you could potentially get more out of them if you knew how to mend them.
2: Or practice, you know, before you spend, because I've I've been toying around with switching to like linen dresses and like moving, you know, to just because they're comfortable and they're easier. I'm not going to, you know, completely replace my whole wardrobe, but maybe I will start to replace things slowly and I'll try and mend the things that are, not as precious to me as those as those natural fiber items so that I can get good at it. So you're right, it is a skill that is almost completely gone. My mom made my baby clothes.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, like I can't make, I can make handbags and I can make, I'm using the term make loosely here, oh, aprons. <laughs> that's it. Like, that's all, you know. So it would be kind of a cool skill to learn.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think mending, it takes time and Patience, which I don't oftentimes have, but I absolutely love the look of mended clothes. Like if you have a mismatch patch or like mm-hmm. a patch work pair of pants because they have holes, I think that that is like it tells such a story, and I think they're just so unique and cool. No, there's a history to them.
1: You should see Bo's hunting them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you mend them? No, Did you they mend need them or? No. Oh. <laughs> We'll start there. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he'll be pleased. <laughs> or
0: replacing zippers. Yeah, oh, Yeah. I think, that that's, I can't yeah, I that think that's something that, sh- like, how many zippers have gone out in your lifetime? Like, those are things that, or even just knowing how to replace the tab on a zipper because it pulled off or it broke. Like, those, I think, are skills that no, okay, not nobody, but a lot of people don't know how to do and we use zippers all the time, you know, like I was just thinking about hunting uh-huh. bibs. Like I broke the zippers off the legs of my hunting bibs so many times that if I didn't have people that could fix those, I would need a new pair of bibs, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Not everything yeah. is made with YKK zippers nowadays.
2: What's a YKK It's just a brand of
0: zipper and they're really heavy duty. They're nice. zippers. Oh, like the metal um, teeth ones. Got it.
1: Are you talking about the little thing yeah. that you grab and broke yes. off? You could, you could. Uh-oh. <laughs>
2: oh, I want to see you say Excuse what me. I was going to say.
1: You just feed that Aww. through the zipper. Yeah, those work. I was say a paper clips, um,
0: uh, safety pins, like all those things definitely work. You know, um, but you can replace the little tabbies too, and then keep them going. Mm-hmm.
2: I did not know that.
0: Do you, like, raise up the little thing and then, like, shove it in and pinch Honestly, it down? Honestly, I don't know. I have my mother-in-law and sister-in-law do that for me. Because <laughs> remember, I don't have the time or the patience to do these things. <laughs> but, they, they... but that leads us to another good point. What's that? Community yes, sufficiency. true. Yeah. That's super true. Kidding? Yeah. Right? We all need... Getting to know the community, like, so obviously my strengths are not sewing. We, we established that in the last five <laughs> minutes. Um, and so but because I know that there's people in my family that can do it and that are willing to help me with those projects, it's nice that they can, you know, do that for me and then I in turn can do something else for them, um, which is nice. And so being community sufficient is also a huge part of self-reliance um, because no one can truly really do it by themselves. We can't, you know, and so, yeah, getting to know your community is really important. Your local
1: farmers for whatever, whether that's produce from the garden or half a cow, a whole cow, a quarter of a cow, pigs, chickens, ducks, dairy, Mm -hmm. eggs, eggs. Yeah,
2: Like if you have an HOA and you can't figure out how to hide (laughs) chickens in your backyard and you don't want quail. find your local egg (laughs) or even
1: finding like if you're
0: in living in the city like an apartment a lot of places have community gardens and you could go and plant things in there and have Mm -hmm. a community spot where you can you know harvest produce um or if you talk to a local farmer and say, hey i really really wanted to you know have some you know plants and i don't have a spot to put them like you might through a conversation be able to say they might like invite you to say hey yeah come on over, you know, you can have this little tilled spot because we don't use it anymore or whatever. Like you might find those opportunities that you never knew existed because you didn't reach out. And so I think reaching out and having those conversations, mm-hmm. they probably are going to feel really, really awkward. Um, But the payoff sometimes is well, well worth it.
2: Yeah. I mean, with bees, there's a lot of cities and you have to work with your, if you live in an apartment, you have to work with your apartment owner, or, you know, the company or the corporation or whatever. But there's a lot of people that will put bees on top of their, you know, the, their apartment buildings because the bees don't care. It's not a problem for them. It gets them out of the way of everybody else. And okay. yet there's honey that can be community honey. And it's a whole huge learning Um, opportunity for the entire you know apartment complex depending on the size and all of that so yeah talking to people and figuring out common interests um, or skills that other people have that you might not is a is a great way of building community but then also now you're relying on your community and not on that supply chain that comes from across the country across the world in some cases
0: yeah Yep. And then you're working on your bartering skills too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you scratch my back this way, I'll scratch yours this way. Like, you know, I can do this for you while you give this to me in return. Like that, that bartering aspect we've lost, like that is not something that is a, a normal type of currency in today's economy, really. Um, But to be able to bring that back, I think is really important. Yeah. Especially in this day and
2: age, you know, like, necessarily have to take this very far at all, but I've been reading a lot of articles about, you know, being prepared for 36 hours. Like if something were to happen for 36 hours where you were not able to get to the grocery store, you were not able, you know, to do X, Y, and Z for your normal, you know, grocery shopping or provisioning for your house, what would you do? And it's an interesting frame of mind to kind of go into. And I think a lot of people would say, well, I might need to go borrow a cup of sugar from my neighbor. When was the last time that you did that? When was the last time anybody did it? It was a common occurrence when I was a kid, but I don't know necessarily that I would feel comfortable going. Well, to my one neighbor, I would feel very yep. comfortable. With to my other? I'm not sure that I would. So if you don't feel comfortable with that or if you're experiencing something similar, then it kind of probably it's going to be the same way flipped around. So like, what would you do for 36 yeah, that's,
0: hours? It's wild to think about that because, you know, for 36 hours whether that be, you know, without power or just not be able to go anywhere or what it would look like, like, would you be able to heat your house? Would you be able to take care of your immediate mm-hmm. needs? Like, not even wants, but your immediate needs without the mm-hmm. help of somebody else?
1: Mm-hmm. Would you have the water that you need for that yeah. 36 sure. hours? Uh-huh. For sure. the toilet, for the washing, for the cooking, yeah. for the dishes? That's- mm-hmm.
0: It's a huge thought, yeah. And to put that to put that yeah. into like perspective, and to just sit there and like evaluate what your preparedness looks like, and who you could count on, or where you could go, it's kind of humbling.
1: Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm.
2: It, but it's also empowering because it gives you the opportunity to like change. If you if you see a spot that's lacking, it gives you the opportunity to change it. And no, in the dead of winter, you're not going to be able to plant a garden. But you might go over and and hang out with your neighbor and chat with your neighbor for a little while and just get to know somebody.
1: hmm
0: 36 hours could change a lot. Have you ever been without power for 36 hours? No. Do I want to be without power for 36 hours? No. We have. <laughs> Was it in the yeah. winter? Yep. Yeah, I kind of figured. Yeah, we have never done that. And Kyle and I actually had this conversation today about improvements we want to do. To our house in case something like that would happen. And, like, one of the biggest things is I want to have an alternative heating source in our house um, that is wood fired. Uh, So, I would love to get a, you know, a wood stove in our house. So, that way, if something were to happen during the winter, we could
1: still stay warm
0: with our kids. And that's really Mm important.
1: So, this happened. Let me think. We're in 2024 now. So, 2020 and 2021... Um, both years we lost power for at least 36 hours one of them was like almost five days um, wow and at that point we just had the wood-burning fireplace and then we ended up deciding okay this has happened two years in a row we are tearing out the fireplace replacing it with a wood-burning stove because they are more efficient they put off more heat All of those Mm -hmm. good things. Um, And so 2022 is when we did that. And since then, that has essentially become our primary source of heat. And then our natural gas that relies on us having electricity. Uh, I mean, we could put in natural gas. um, Not like space heaters, but like they're just plugged into the gas outlets in the house and not through the hvac system but even still we would have to like manually light them like we do the cook stove um and they i don't know that they would be able to regulate the temperature that way so we just don't have any of those (laughs) we just do the wood stove primarily and then the hvac as our backup is kind of how we see it That's
0: interesting. And I can't imagine being without power for 36 hours in the dead of winter here in Minnesota and not having something to fall back on. Like, it's not a normal concept. I don't think a lot of people have a dual source of heat here. Yeah, Like, I don't know anybody, no no family, no friends, anybody that has that capability. And we are in sub-zero temperatures how often below 30 temperatures, most of for, like, what, four months straight? What would we do if we didn't have it for 36 mm-hmm. hours? You
2: know what people used to do? They used to all get together. Mm-hmm. They used to get together in one house and share resources to include body heat. You know okay. what I mean? And it's it's an interesting thing to think about. I think about um, it was a few winters ago where there was, like, you know, elderly people would be stuck in a house by themselves and they would freeze to death. Well, to me, aside from that being, you know, it sat on multiple levels, but on one, it was the fact that the community had gotten so distant from each other that somebody could pass in an apartment right next door to a group of people yeah. that would be unwilling to share just their, you know, yourself, your heat. And it's, uh, you know, it's a humbling thought. It's a sobering thought. But to me, it's also like a... um In some way, it's like a call to action as far as getting to know the people that are around you and not only understanding who can provide what, when and where and like how you can come together as a community, but also how you can kind of look out for each other. I don't think we have that very often. I don't know. I've been in this house for four years and I still don't know like four of my neighbors. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, we kind of get in our lane and just stay in it. And we don't kind of veer off and take the take the side roads very often to to meet and extend hands to mm-hmm. our neighbors and to our community and I think that that's really you know really sad and unfortunate and knowing that honestly there's no way that we can be by yourself truly self-sufficient like being that's self-sufficient really you, you can't be it but to be community sufficient is great to be self-reliant or reclaim some independence from certain, you know, food chains or um, energy sources or um, whatever else it it may be to you to improve your sufficiency, self and community is really, really important. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We've been trained to be dependent on the government Mm -hmm. and on the supply chain and on the public partner, public private partnerships like your utilities that have been you know, put into place in these gigantic infrastructures that have been built, which they're wonderful. I mean, it's great, you know, I'm not ever gonna, you know, put down flushing toilets or, you know, electricity. But at the same time, I think it's kind of made us become a little bit more solitary, despite the fact of being around so many people that we have forgotten how to actually come together as a community. And Mm -hmm. to me, the opportunity of thinking about those 36 hours can kind of start to switch that around to where you still have the government you still have those infrastructure you know uh, foundations that have been laid but you're not so reliant on that that you're like oh my gosh if in Minnesota my power went out we just have to get the blankets (laughs) like Yes. yes sometimes that's necessary but probably not as often as you think right
0: well, we hope that this podcast was somewhat informational for you guys. You could, we touched on a few different topics. We talked talked about um, gardening. We talked about how to preserve some food, buying in bulk, cooking from scratch, getting comfortable with trying new skills, working hard at it and failing, and about getting to know your comp- community and community sufficiency. Um, we as a community here at the Homestead Connection, we actually created a great resource for you. If you go to our website, www.thehomesteadconnection.com, we have a resource tab where we put hours of time research, researching all of these um, PDFs and links and things that we put on there for you. And so if you're looking for something, check it out. We Either we've used it, we've looked into it quite a bit, or we would recommend you using that Um from personal experience and so that's another great place to start and so from us to you that is that is just one thing that we wanted to give you and to be a little bit more community sufficient in that mindset of, of sharing and not gatekeeping that information from you Woo-hoo, they're free too and so head over to our website and check those out if you guys have questions you can always message us at the homestead connection on instagram or contact us through our website i hope you guys all have a great day and can get on your journey to reclaim some independence.